0: His midweek Media Watch got some competition on its hands, do you think, Hayden?
1: Yeah, it sure looks that way, yeah, threatened. doesn't it? Winston Peter's barely been sworn in before he starts taking the wind out of my sails, delivering his own media criticism. One thing I will note, though, he's a lot more one-dimensional than me. He's a lot more focused on his perceived bias, uh, media bias against his own party, Uh but, I mean, this was all covered in a strong report by News Hub's political editor, General Lynch, on Monday night, and I'll highlight some of that. So here's one section. And well, we'll see the speed TVNZ and RNZ, which are taxed by our own, understand this new message. We'll see that whether these people, with the media and journalists, are they independent?
0: Yeah.
1: Well, that's not fascinating. I've never seen the evidence of that the last three years. There's a typical kind of blustery uh, Winston Peters versus General Lynch exchange, and he followed that up by accusing the media of taking bribes by accepting money from the $55 million public interest journalism fund which expired earlier this year. And the media hasn't taken that accusation too kindly, so here's how Lynch framed it
2: outlandishly and incorrectly claiming the government had, quote, bribed the media through the Public Interest Journalism
1: Fund. You can't defend $55 million of bribery. Repeating for effect. No, 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 you cannot defend $55 million of bribery. Get it very clear. And that was just in the package, and Jenna Lynch did a live cross on NewsHub at 6 straight after that, where she expounded further on her criticism of Winston Peters.
2: Ministers in the past have faced weeks of pressure for any perception that they may be trying to exert influence over our state broadcasters and rightly so. Their editorial independence is sacred. It may have been okay for Winston Peters to have a lash at media on the election campaign but this is something different. He is the Deputy Prime Minister and this is about democracy. It is also unbecoming of a Deputy Prime Minister to falsely accuse the media of taking bribes from a government and you can bet your bottom dollar that this particular deputy prime minister and serial litigant Winston Peters would at least threaten to haul someone through the courts if the same baseless accusation was levelled
1: at him. Some pretty tough direct criticism there from Jenna Lynch but I'm not sure Mark that Winston Peters was all that rebuffed by it.
0: No, because he made what a similar claim the next
1: day. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> he, he didn't take it to heart. He repeated the bribery claim at a photo opportunity for the first meeting of the government's new cabinet and that prompted Jason Walls of Newstalk ZB to respond uh, on on twitter formerly well sorry x formerly twitter actually that way around uh he said astonishingly winston peters has not only repeated his airing of conspiracy theories about media being bribed by the 55 million dollar public interest journalism fund in the cabinet room today he went further tell the public what you had to sign up to to get the money winston said Is it really all that astonishing, though? I mean,
0: Winston Peters, uh, you know, we're talking about Winston. He hasn't exactly been shy and retiring with his thoughts on the media over the years, has he?
1: Yeah, I'm a little bit, honestly, I'm a little bit flabbergasted by how flabbergasted some of the media has been about that, partly because, as you say, this is Winston we're dealing with here. His his war with the media makes the war in Afghanistan look like a short skirmish by comparison, really. I mean, it, it, it's, it's not new for him to be getting into these kind of scraps. Maybe it is his deputy prime minister but he's uh, he has some form in this area but uh, other than that this is this sort of bribery claim it's not a new or an uncommon accusation or allegation and the same sort of insinuation has been made by other politicians including some mainstream ones so for instance the new media and communications minister melissa lee took some steps in that direction at a select committee in 2021 when she was still an opposition spokesperson. So here she is talking to RNZ's board chair, Jim Mather.
2: Would RNZ be prepared to challenge, critique and even call for the resignation of the government or ministers at the risk of losing access to the public interest journalism fund?
1: So that was that was a question uh, to Jim, and obviously a concern for her there. Maybe she's just raising it on behalf of constituents, Mm -hmm. but you could see it as well with her colleague Louise Upston talking along similar lines to RNZ's chief executive, Paul Thompson.
2: Just on that question, in terms of balance, how will you ensure the views that might not be popular um, or politically correct are still provided to the public who are entitled to a view? Um, And would you sack someone who dared to have a view that wasn't politically correct?
1: Yeah, so that's the same kind of bias accusations they are worried about, the Public Interest Journalism Fund, that kind of stuff. And these MPs were just repeating a concern that's incredibly common on the ground. I mean, I, I find the shot from the media over these claims a little odd, to be honest. Peter's spent the entire campaign trying to appeal to what could euphemistically be called the alternative media sphere, a little bit less charitably, maybe the conspiracy media sphere. Mm. And uh, on the whole, that sphere is deeply hostile to mainstream news outlets. These kinds of claims of bribery are sort of small fry on them. And it's not a surprise that one of the few media outlets that Peters will speak to recently in depth is the platform where he told Sean Plunkett on Tuesday that he is, in fact, he confirmed he is, in fact, at war with the media. Now, I wonder whether there's maybe been a failure to contend with the size and the influence and the cut through of this alternative media sphere, which is obviously now influencing major parties as well. But the media has has called these bribery alleg- allegations false.
0: Did we get any decent explanation on why?
1: Not really an in-depth one on a lot of the coverage, and I wonder whether that might be a tactical error. It was kind of just brushed off. False accusation, mm. uh, a conspiracy claim, that kind of stuff. It wasn't really they didn't get into why exactly it's false or why it's adjacent to conspiracies. And this is not a criticism of someone like Jenna Lynch. She's got a three-minute package. She has to get everything that happened during the day into that three-minute package. And look, sometimes you just can't cover everything, particularly not in depth, and I totally get that. But I do wonder how convincing it is for audience members to just hear, this is false, as a response to this kind of accusation, particularly when the person saying this is false is the one that's accused. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, you need to give a good reason why why in a way and we know that from surveys that show trust in the media has fallen to record lows and in the latest trust in media survey put out by aut research center for journalism media and democracy uh, it showed that 42 percent of people trust the new zealand media so less than 50 percent obviously that figure has declined year after year after year it still is apparently and part of this Goes back to what I was saying before. We now have alternative media outlets, social media influencers, social media outlets are telling people that everything they hear in the news is biased and corrupt and so for someone in the mainstream to just say this is false and expect it to be taken at face value I think that's optimistic at best Mm. in this day and age So what would uh, an actual rebuttal to Winston Peters look like in your opinion? There's been a few that have been offered up over the years for instance uh, TVNZ chief executive at the time Kevin Kenrick offered a decent one to Melissa Lee in that select committee I mentioned earlier so here he is describing... The amount of money his organization would be getting from the PIJF, which just as a reminder, it was $55 million split over three years, but across every media organization in the country that Mm. successfully applied. So when you kind of break it down like that, not actually that much. So you'll hear he was pretty dismissive of the idea that that's a substantial enough sum to influence editorial Mm. policy.
2: So the question was: If a minister or the prime minister threatened to actually pull your public interest journalism funding, would you run the story? Is the question?
0: Hundred percent. The amount of funding we get's a round of drinks.
2: <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for that question.
0: I, th- I think I saw a similar point made by uh, Winston's coalition partner this week.
1: Yes, yeah, some disagreements in the in the new government. Uh, that line of reasoning about the round of drinks, maybe not in such colourful terms. It was echoed by ACT leader David Seymour. He said it didn't pass the sniff test. It's not quite plausible that a $1 billion industry has been bought off or corrupted by a fund that represents just 2% of its overall budget. Mm. And not just that, but 2% of its overall budget on a temporary basis. So he got uh, some support as well, though not support that was particularly kind to the media, uh, from Newstalk ZB's Heather Duplessis-Allen. She said this.
2: I actually think that they were just as soft before taking the money as they were afterwards. I mean, there are members of the media who were weirdly soft towards the Jacinda Ardern-led government and are already being incredibly hard on the new Chris Chris Luxon-led government. You can see it. I I don't think that was because they were bought off. I just think that's their political leanings, are towards the left.
1: Now, she, she went on to say that the real source of bias is that Wellington journalists are in a lefty bubble where they spend all their time hanging out, drinking wine with public servants and agreeing with each other. And look, I don't know. I don't spend a lot of time in Wellington, Mark. She might have a point there. But, you know, it's possible that the people she meets in the News talk studio or around Ponsonby also don't represent a broad cross-section of New Zealand. We all have mm. our bubbles that might influence our beliefs. And the overall point, though, is that this isn't a big part of our larger media companies' budgets. What the PIJF, Public Interest Journalism Fund, did was really... It just ensured coverage that doesn't make the big bucks, like reporting on courts, Mm. open justice, local democracy, minority communities, because maybe there's not that kind of audience saturation, or stuff like cadetships for new journalists that they all got done even when times were tight Mm. during COVID. But it's interesting that this particular fund seems to get criticised as well. It's not exactly the only
0: government spending on journalism, is it? It's
1: a little bit curious that this one is... Uh, such Island. a lightning rod for yeah. criticism because it's it's not the biggest part of the government spending on broadcasting. Uh, New Zealand On Air has long funded, for instance, Q&A, News Hub Nation. It funds RNZ's entire budget, of course, TVNZ. Mm-hmm. It's a state-owned enterprise. It pays its own way through advertising. Uh, but it is owned by the government and both organisations. They have their independence enshrined in le- legislation as a result. I mean, perhaps most relevant, I think, is something like the Local Democracy Reporting Scheme. It was set up by Jacinda Ardern's first Labour government in 2019. It was reviewed in 2020. You might remember that government was in coalition with Winston mm. Peters, mm. New Zealand First. They were there when the decisions were Made and that was a big step at the time, actually, because it was the first time this government had, that the government had intervened to directly pay the salaries of reporters working in the commercial media sector. And now, just about everyone, including National, all these people that are against the PIJF, they praise that scheme. So it, it's interesting. I, it's hard to understand why the fifty-five million dollar for the Public Interest Journalism Fund is treated so differently to other cash that gets uh, given out to the media. So in a word, you, you're you not convinced by the argument that the uh, Public
0: Interest Journalism Fund is a bribe.
1: Well, if, it, if it's a bribe, it's not a very good one. I mean, one of the biggest, if not the biggest recipient of Public Interest Journalism Fund money was NZME. That's the owner of... Talk ZB and mm-hmm. the Herald and it also received some of the 50 million dollars that was set aside for the media in COVID relief measures in 2020 it got extensive COVID ad income when we were running those COVID ads mm-hmm. it got between eight and nine million dollars from the wage subsidy and I think you'd find it's pretty hard to say that NZME outlets were soft on the Labour government uh, and I'm pretty sure you'd probably have a few Labour supporters who'd say the opposite was true and in the end I think this is probably just Winston Peters using the Pijf to burnish his anti-establishment credentials. He's at his best when he is contending with the media, when he is the uh, when he's when he's when he's coming out swinging against other people. Mm-hmm. And look, I, I'm not the only one to say that this fund is being used as a political football. For instance. New Zealand First media spokesperson Jenny Marcroft hinted in that direction a little bit in a political debate on broadcasting held before the election.
2: We know that the Public Interest Journalism Fund became weaponised, $55 million that Minister Jackson put into that. And although I know that he was trying to help support journalism, The industry did not sell it very well and it became weaponised. We stopped it when New Zealand First was in government with Labour because uh, the minister at the time wanted it to go out eight weeks before the election and we said that will be used as a bribe for the media. That's how it will go. So we said, no, you can't have that. Mm
1: -hmm. Worth noting, Chris Hipkins actually kind of disputed that. He he thought that Winston and uh, New Zealand First was involved in the process there. It's an interesting perspective, in any case, because maybe Jenny Marcroft can take that stuff about Willie Jackson trying to help the media and this being weaponised to her boss, perhaps something she could raise at the next uh, mm. New Zealand First meeting.
0: Mm. I Just out of interest, um, Hayden, uh, a text in the media are just as responsible for Labour's loss as many journalists and presenters are biased and one-sided against Labour. So that's for Gary. So OK. That's, that's the way he reads it. Different perspective. Now it seems a lot of of the uh, the discontent was because the, the Public Interest Journalism Fund required applicants to show a commitment to the treaty.
1: Yeah, and this was the heart of David Seymour's complaint, even though he didn't think the media, he said that New Zealanders want to debate the treaty, requiring a commitment to it as a condition of getting funding is wrong in his eyes and I can see why he might have some qualms there particularly given some of his election commitments his rhetoric during the campaign but it it is worth remembering that much of what got funded from the PIJF was stuff like the court reporting scheme open justice for instance or local reporting roles and this is really just basic lunch pail journalism that only has an indirect relevance to a modern debate about the role of the treaty or anything like that. The other thing that I'd want to just point out is as we saw with Stuff's Apology for its history of racist coverage that was called Tā Mataupono news organisations have traditionally skewed towards a Pākehā perspective. They haven't promoted Māori journalists or perspectives well and there was obviously a desire through this fund to address that promote indigenous or minority voices that might not have been elevated in a purely profit driven system. And for instance, you had cadet cadetships at NZME for Māori journalists are a good example of one initiative that was aimed at addressing this issue, and it's actually been pretty successful. Now you can say that's wrong, but this is a well-known issue in our media sector, which public funding agencies have been trying to address for a long time. And before we move on, um, you wanted to highlight a, a nice story you saw out there in the dreaded
0: mainstream media
1: this week. Yes, Tuesday morning on Morning Report, I heard this one. Uh, I was really impressed by it. It was by senior reporter Amy Williams, and it was on Te Koti o Timatanga Ho, which is Auckland's new beginnings court. And I just thought it was really well put together. It focuses on the story of Tim, who was facing low-level charges for offences committed while he was homeless and living rough. And the court is... Less formal than others, as you'll hear, it focuses more on helping people to get their lives back on track. So just as an indication of that, this is how a session opens.
2: After opening with Waiata, participants take turns sitting before Judge Fitzgerald, who starts by asking how they are. First to the bench, Tim is graduating.
1: We've seen the potential in you and the ability you've got to go on and find yourself the type of job you want to be doing, pursue those interests that you've got. And I hope that you see in yourself the potential that we see in you. Well, that definitely sounds a bit different to the usual court proceeding, I would have thought. Definitely a lot more nurturing than most of the courts that I've uh, been in. And some listeners, they may say, oh, well, that's all a bit, wishy-washy, mm. but this is something that seems to be working. As Williams reports in her story, the court started in 2010, 2010. Evaluations have shown that its approach reduces reoffending rates by 66%, nights spent in prison by 78%, hospital admissions by 78%, and Tim is one of its success stories. Mm. And as a result of his efforts, he's got a discharge without conviction, and this is how his involvement with the court ends. I'm just going to ask everyone to join me in acknowledging you, and, um, You take care, you're free to go.
2: Tim is given a certificate and ponamu and has a photo taken with Judge Fitzgerald and the court's coordinator, Carmel Claridge.
0: It's given me stability, it's given me a home, it's given me a second chance where I just truthfully thought I would have ended up in jail. It's also given me the courage to just keep pushing forward.
1: Yeah, I thought that was an interesting story. It was really beautifully put together. The yeah. media has been pretty heavy on tough on crime re- rhetoric lately, I have to say. ram Ramrays have dominated the news for quite some months. And it, it's interesting and timely, I think, to hear the story of a successful initiative that doesn't fit that mould necessarily seems to rely more on restoring dignity than mm. taking it away and seems to be successful perhaps as a result it's definitely successful in any case. Mm. The whole story is only four minutes long. I'd recommend tracking it down if you have that amount of time spare. Now, sticking around on the positive side of things,
0: 3's much derided app seems to have got a bit of a spruce up.
1: It has. Three's live streaming app, Three Now, has long been the subject of some derision for its clunky layout, tendency to crash in the middle of shows or just about any time. It's compared unfavourably with TVNZ Plus, uh, its crosstown rival streaming app, which apparently, according to the latest Where Are The Audiences survey from NZ On Air, gets used by 27% of the country on a daily basis. Three's app, on the other hand, used by 7% of New Zealanders daily. So they're sprucing it up. They're hoping that they'll bridge that gap and the Spruce Up, funded in part by the deep pockets of the channel's new owner, Warner Brothers. So what's it like? What's the new app like? I used it today, actually, Mark, and I have to say, it does seem like a big improvement. It, it seems to have shamelessly stolen some design elements from the major streaming apps of its rivals, particularly Neon and, of course, TVNZ. But I'm in support of that. We should steal more stuff. We don't have to reinvent the wheel every time we do something new. If something works, we just steal it. Well, I agree with that in every sector. So (laughs) one of my core beliefs. And just as for functionality, I haven't used it all that much, so don't trust me entirely, but I was using it to stream the cricket earlier, and it worked perfectly fine. Loading times, very, very minimal. Has it got any big uh, draw cards, perhaps to get uh, people
0: using the new and improved software? Well, the cricket.
1: The cricket that I just mentioned, the, the Black Cap series against Bangladesh, they've got the rights to that. It was announced today that its rival TVNZ has actually got the Bangladesh Home Series uh, for the Black Caps in December. But I have to say, it's good to see cricket and major sports in general uh, on free to air. Mm Mm-hmm. TV. It's long been behind the paywall. I love it. Bring uh, back the good r- old days, eh? I bring back like rugby, one of sport from my yes, childhood indeed. on TV. Yeah. One
0: right, rugby, New Zealand's big game. That was lovely, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Rugby, rugby, rugby.
1: Um, now
0: that's not all compliments. You wanted to issue one brick bat over an RNZ story.
1: Yeah, as just as context for this one in Auckland, I'm sorry to focus on Auckland, but we have this road called Miola Road. It's getting an upgrade partly because it's built on a former rubbish dump, seems to be subsiding. It'll get bus lanes, bike lanes, all that usual stuff. And it's part of what's called the Inner West Projects, which are this bunch of street upgrades around these central suburbs, Grey Lynn, Point Sheve, West Lynn. And they've all been the subject of what could be euphemistically described as exhaustive consultation and debate. Years and years years and years of it just like everything in a cursed local government mark but i actually wrote a feature about this horrible process for metro and the long difficult effort to get them over the line and anyway construction on miola road is finally set to start on december 15 q of course rnz running the headline Barking mad, Aucklanders annoyed at Meola Road summer closure. And the Herald picking up that story with another headline, Auckland Transport causes ire for Aucklanders with Miola Road summer closure. What was the source of this annoyance? Just well, the-, the story focused on the fact that the construction will cut off access to a dog park for a few months. And that's difficult for a dog walker named in the story as Emily. Now, okay, I don't want to minimize emily's suffering but i do get a bit tired of these kinds of stories in the media we're always saying things need to get fixed infrastructure needs to get upgraded houses need to be built we need to fix stuff and then when something actually happens we turn around and say this is going to be terrible for the local dogs i mean (laughs) we have i know why we have this news value of negativity but you could kind of understand some of our decision makers throwing it, throwing their paws up into the air, yeah. howling at the moon in frustration at this kind of thing. And the reality is Find another power. Come on. <laughs> Go <laughs> another <I'd> way. Finally <laughs> fix something and now you're complaining about that. The reality is that if we if we things are gonna change, it'll mean some construction. In this case it's happening at the least disruptive time of year, January, February, before university gets into full swing. I don't know when you could do it is no. better. It seems we want things to be built, but without actually having to go through the process of building them, I, yeah. I don't really understand how this works. It happens all the time with building as well. It's not just this thing. It's, this has obviously been a bit of a bugbear of mine for some time. Well, I, I travel north up the new
0: motorway, the Holiday Highway, I think it was affectionately known, which is a fantastic road. Virtually every night I travel home, it's closed at some point where they're trying to put a bridge across or something. Well, you know, so this brand well, new motorway. I,
1: Wayne Brown has got some <laughs> some problems with uh, the holiday highway. He thinks it's designed wrong. I was, oh I I was oh no, Apart from that, apart from the fact it's closed when I go <laughs> home. Yeah, well, I, this is it. More complaints. But as the saying goes, everyone wants to go to heaven. Nobody wants to die. Um, goodbye, Kim Hill. Goodbye, mm. Kim Hill. She's gone legend of this, this, own, this station, our own broadcasting legend. She did a succession of valedictory interviews, which you can seek out. Hera Lindsay Bird, North and South, Toby Manhire and the spin-off, Russell Bailey, the listener, and of course RNZ zone, Jim Mora. I'll just note a few highlights as we go from her final show. And as many have noted, Kim engaging with the often mean feedback of her listeners was a highlight of their weekends, and the last show did feature some of that.
0: Outrage from listeners who didn't. Listen, get this woman off the air, she's delusional. Well, possibly. But y'all have the wrong end of the stick.
2: Steve says, sorry, Kim, but you definitely do denigrate people who
0: don't agree with you. Sounds awful. I do not,
1: Steve. You idiot. <laughs> uh... Uh, That was a a denigration to Steve's accusations (laughs) Uh, Great stuff from Kim Uh, The show featured a lot of great guests Michael Rosen was one of them But the nicest segment came near its end I think When Kim's daughter Hannah Came in to read a final bit of feedback From someone she called a long time listener Mm. So here's her reading the end of that letter
2: I've noticed how you need to switch off. The curating, the pen clicking, the delivery is marathon worthy. But in that same breath, you've never, ever taken a break or switched off from me, the long-time lister, (laughs) Oh, <laughs> she's faded away don't worry I can't see you but in that Stop same that. breath you have this, this isn't me you're wrong this isn't <laughs> listener get back you have enriched so many lives weekly but you supported me daily you deserve to know how proud I am of you and you must believe me because the long time listener is me your daughter the one who is sometimes nearly always right
1: <laughs> very nice it was very nice and I mean I hope that you get something similar when you finally <laughs> oh, <mate. laughs> Finish up filling in, <laughs> oh, on, filling in on nights. <laughs> oh dear! So I'll, I promise to start crying as oh, I there you go as I read out my tribute to you.